And to Jesus be all the glory and the honor and the praise and God's wonderful people said, Amen and Amen. And thank you for being with me today. A great week. This whole week is so powerful. I'm so excited. And today I'm going to show you a teaching from Seattle, Washington. I was recently with Pastor Russell Johnson. Oh, the blessed power of God was glorious in that service. And I ministered on how not to faint in your mind, how to have a healthy mind. You know, today the biggest problem, it seems, in this country and many parts of the world is mental illness. But there's an answer to it. Now, let's see and watch and be blessed as I share the Word of God with you from Seattle, Washington, and I'll be back to pray with you. Watch this. So, and Lord, bless your Word now. Let your people receive it, and I pray you'll use it in their life gloriously in Jesus' name, and God's people said amen. Now, in, in, in today's church, I'm going to come and talk to you. I'm going to look in your eyes and talk to you first. In today's church, people are, are questioning the power and reliability of the, of the Bible. People are questioning, is the Bible reliable? Well, what they seem not to know is they don't know what the Bible really is all about. So when people question the Bible, they don't know the Bible. What God has given us in, in proof unquestionable guaranteed proof is prophecy. I don't mean prophesy, I mean prophecy. The Bible is the word of prophecy. Okay? Now, the word of prophecy is powerful because prophecy, the word of prophecy, or the word itself, is more powerful than any spiritual experience you'll ever have. So, Peter says in 2 Peter, he says how he describes the experience on the Mount of Transfiguration. And he says, we saw the glory of God. And then he talks about how they heard the voice of God and how they saw Elijah and Moses. And he talks about that experience. And then he says, but we have a more sure word of prophecy. Meaning that the Bible is more important than the vision they had. So think about seeing Jesus transfigured. Think about hearing the voice of God. This is my son. Think about they saw the cloud of glory. And they would say, we have, or he would write, we have a more sure word of prophecy. The Bible is more important than any vision you'll ever have or any experience you'll ever have. We need the Word. Today, today, sadly, people are looking for signs and wonders. That's the problem. Signs and wonders do not protect you from Satan. Signs and wonders do not protect you from deception. Only the Word of God protects us from deception. And the people said? Amen. Now, how do we know that the Word of God is the Word of God? Well, let's ask a question, okay? How many prophecies today are in other books of other religions? Whatever religions, zero. 
There are zero prophecies in any book of any religion on earth. Why? Because if that prophecy is not fulfilled, that religion will collapse. How many prophecies in the Bible? 2,500. How many? That's a lot of prophecies. How many fulfilled? 2,000. How many? So now there's another 500 to be fulfilled and the chances are high they will be fulfilled, huh? Because 2,000 already are fulfilled in such detail. In such incredible, accurate detail, it boggles the mind. Think about that. So the problem is people don't know the Old Testament. They know Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They don't know the Old Testament. So when Paul says, according to the scriptures, he doesn't mean Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Because Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John were not written when he wrote the words according to the scriptures. So when he writes in 1 Corinthians 15 that Christ rose according to the scriptures. What scriptures? Old Testament scriptures. That's what he meant. That he was buried according to the scriptures in the Old Testament. That he was buried for three days according to the scriptures in the Old Testament. He rose again according to the scriptures Meaning Old Covenant, Old Covenant, okay? We cannot believe Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John if we, we don't have Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel, okay? Or Hosea and Joel. We can't believe the New Testament if we had no old that is the foundation of the new. So now those 2,500 prophecies, most of them are in the Old Covenant. And this is how we know it's reliable. Because you think about the impossibilities, for example. Now, when, when I talk about 2,500, these are prophecies about the Lord and, and, and the prophecies about the first coming of Jesus in number are 332. How many? <laughs> now, he fulfilled that many prophecies when he came to earth. The rest of them deal with Israel, Babylon, Egypt, Assyria, and so on. And everything happened just perfectly with such accuracy, it boggles the mind. Okay? Now, God is amazing, as we all know. So he knew that there'll be people in the world, not the church, in the world that will question the Bible. So he gave them historical evidence. Somebody said, well, I don't believe the Bible. Fine. How, how about history, okay? So how many documents on earth, how many documents talk about Caesar, Augustus Caesar? Nine. Nine. That's all. One, two, three, four, five. And nine. That's it. Yet the world believes that Caesar existed. How many about Jesus? Thirty-nine. These are historical documents in your library. Any library in the United States and the world. And 80% of those who wrote those documents were not Christians. 20% were atheists. Historians who wrote. There was a man named Jesus. Okay? Who died on a cross. Who rose from the dead. Now this is mind-boggling that you can find that in your library. 
Now, today, people question even that, sadly. So God went beyond history into archaeology. Because he knew that, you know, they may question the historian, but they, but they can't question a real location and touch the rocks, you know. And so today when you go to Jerusalem or all over Israel, you see those places right before you. Especially in the city of David, I've been there. I'm sure you've been there too, Pastor. I'm there, guys, I'm there when they just found the Pool of Siloam, which was buried for 2,000 years by mud because it sat south of Temple Mount and in a valley. So think about 2,000 years, the rain and the mud coming down. Huh? It covered what was the Pool of Siloam. And then later in history, the Palestinians built a town called Silwan. After Siloam, it's called Silwan. It's still there. It happened to be that an Arab man had a, a, a problem with a pipe. And they called the city to fix the pipe. And when they came to fix it, they found there was something underneath the pipe and found the Pool of Siloam. And they called the authorities of antiquities or Department of Tourism. They came and began digging and they found Siloam. And then as they found it, they bought the land all around that. The Arab people sold them the, their homes because they paid them a lot of money for that. And so they went in, began digging, 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 and they found the steps that go down to the pool. I stood on those steps. I've done programs on those steps. But I had an experience that was absolutely incredible. Ezra talks about the stairs that go from the pool to the temple. I was in there with the archaeologists digging mud. I got muddy hands digging mud. I got coins in my hands, 2,000 years old coins. Uh, and I took those coins and cleaned them up and stuck them in my pocket. <laughs> I don't think I should have done that, but it was too exciting, okay? But the thing is, is you see the evidence right there. Or they found the palace of King David, just like the Bible says. I stood in the valley of Elah many times where David fought Goliath. The little creek is still there. I read, I opened my Bible and I said, here is the creek and there's the rocks that he took one of those right here. Evidence beyond question. The Bible is the word of God. Now what we need to do is get to know it. And this is the only power we have that will fix this. Fix what? The mind. I want to show you how to fix your mind. The one thing I hear today a lot is about mental illness. Mental health. People spend millions of dollars on pills and medicines and doctors and counselors to have peace. And they don't understand. Great peace have they that love your law. Great peace have they that love your law. Say that. 
How many want peace in your, in, in your mind? The Bible gives peace. Now you cannot, you cannot uh, receive the word till you go for it. God is not going to give you, please hear this. He gave us the word. Now you have to go and feed upon it. So, so let's just say, let's just say one day I am very generous and I decide to buy Lou a car. Amen. Amen. Yeah. You probably need one, right? So let's say God speaks to me to buy him a car. We've done that a few times in, in our life here and there. We don't talk about it, but God knows that. And so I give him the key to the car. That's a gift. It's a gift. The Lord gave us a gift. It's called life eternal. It's a gift, right? Salvation is a gift. So like a car, I say, here's, my here's that gift. I give it to you and the key. But Lou, you go and get the gas. You have to go to the gas station continually and get the gas so you can use the car. I give him the car, but not the gas. Are you, are you listening? Okay. So when you buy a car from the dealership, they give you a car. Now, some ones, uh, some, sometimes they have it full of gas when you buy it, but you already pay for the gas with what you give them. But then a few days, you got to go get the gas, right? So God says, I give you life. Go get the gas. And the gas is the word. The gas is what? The fuel for life is the word. So he gives us life. But he says the fuel for it is the scriptures. But he also gives us a key to ignite the engine. What is that? Prayer. So when I take the word and I take prayer, it ignites my life. So I need both the scriptures and prayer. But I have got to search the scriptures. Jesus said, search the scriptures. People don't want to do that. That's why they have mental illness and all kinds of problems, including demonic bondage, and we can keep going. So let's look at, at Hebrews, and I want to look at Hebrews 12. Wherefore seeing, I'm reading verse 1, 2, and 3. Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which thus so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. Watch this. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Now look at verse 3. Consider him that endured such contradictions or hostilities of sinners against himself, lest ye be wearied and faint where in your mind. Now let's talk about what the Lord went through. Hostilities of sinners. Can you endure? Can your mind stay peaceful if you spent 
the night before in a dungeon. Before that, betrayed by a man who was one of your apostles. And now beaten with cruelty. Bleeding all night long. Prior to that, in Gethsemane, your sweat became blood. Now they say people die when their sweat becomes blood. That's great stress that will cause that, medically speaking. So the Lord went through such torment, even in Gethsemane. Now he goes from there to the house of Caiaphas. They beat him. They mock him. They blindfold him and punch him in the face. So much so, his face is no longer recognizable. Now he goes to a prison, a dungeon, all night long. No food, no water. The next day he stands before Pilate. And he is whipped with metal that has nails in it. That tore his body where his bones were exposed, according to Psalm 22. He carries his cross. He's so weak, he needs someone to help him. He's nailed to a cross, and those enemies were literally mocking him. Not only the night before, not only on the way to Calvary, but on the cross. Yet it says he endured. Wow, that's powerful. Their hostilities. He says, lest you be wearied in your minds. Remember what happened to him. And he endured. Wow. He said, well, he's the son of God. Oh, don't forget. He was as much man as though he was not God. And he was as much God as though he was not man. But Jesus was a man just like you and me. Fully man and fully God. Let me talk about this a second. Who's the real man here, Adam or Jesus? Let's, let, let's ask the question. Because I want to prove to you that Jesus was really a human being. What is a human being? Was Adam a man? Well, can you identify with a guy just, that just showed up? Fully grown. <laughs> a amazing brain. Full of wisdom to tell God what to call each animal. I cannot identify with that. The man, Adam, had no parents where he was dependent on parents. He had no mommy and daddy. He was not born as a baby. He didn't have to grow up and learn. He just showed up. And when he showed up, he was perfect, strong, healthy, wise, and he still messed up. What is a man? A man is someone who is first helpless, dependent on a mommy daddy to, to take care of him. A real man has lineage. Adam didn't have lineage. 
He had no tribe that he came from, any, anyone. No forefathers, no grandpas, grandmas, or a tribe he came from. He just showed up. But the Lord Jesus came from a nation called Israel, the tribe of Judah. Came from a family. Helpless when he was born to be protected by his mom and Joseph. That's a real man. Okay? So now, this real man is on the cross. After suffering such cruelty, he did not lose his mind. Why? Ah, that's what we're going to talk about. What kept him? What kept him from losing his mind? What kept him so peaceful that it says, for the joy that was set before him. That's something, huh? So it says in verse 3, Consider him that endured such contradiction or hostilities of sinners against himself, lest you be wearied and faint in your minds. Now, the Bible says in Proverbs 23, 7, we all know it by heart, As he thinketh in his heart, so is he. But what causes us to think right in our hearts? We'll get to that, huh? I think I answered the question already. Great peace have they that love your law. When people don't read the Bible, they give vacancy to the devil. You know, in, in, uh, in Matthew 12, Jesus talks about how demons come looking for their old uh, territory. Ah, man, I got to really get this through to you. Every one of you at one time had devils. Including me, we all had demons that controlled our lives. Then we got saved and were delivered from them. Many of us, when we were still living as sinners, had suicidal thoughts. That's called demonic oppression. Many of us had sexual problems and all kinds of problems before we got saved. We, we were drunkards and you name it, all of us, in some way or another, everybody had a problem before you got saved, that the devil ran your life and controlled you without you giving him permission. You were oppressed, depressed, some possessed. And Jesus one day set you free. But you have to understand that demons are territorial. They don't give up easily on their territories. So Jesus said in Matthew 12, they come back looking for vacancy. They come back to their old house. Let me look now. Maybe I can get back in there and bring more devils so I don't get kicked out this time. Are you listening? What are they looking for? Vacancy. What do you mean vacancy? Are they looking for the gifts of the Spirit? There's a lot of people with the gifts and have devils with them too. Are they looking for someone who has a healing ministry? Even that, I've known healing ministers that died with AIDS. It doesn't protect you from devils just because you're a healing ministry or a pastor. There are pastors that have devils. I've seen it. 
<laughs> Boy, did I ever see it. We, 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 we were invited to a big church. You remember that, Marie? This big church on the East Coast somewhere. This big name pastor was there. And a lady named Ruth Glass came with us. And that woman was mighty in God. People don't know that. Now, she's standing there with us. And we're talking to the pastor. I think you were in the room. This guy, tall, standing there, big suit, big everything. And she looks, she says, come out of him. She cast the devils out of him. And that guy began manifesting in front of us. That woman, who is not a pastor, not a preacher, just one who loves Jesus, really, with all her heart, bold like a lion, she cast out that devil out of that man who began throwing up and manifesting and growling at us. Before we walk up on that platform, the, the guy was barking at us and growling. And she cast the devils out of him. And when we got up on the platform, he was set free from those demons by a lady who nobody knew that would even do that. I, did, I never expected Ruth to cast a devil out of that guy. I've seen pastors with that. Well, you bet I have. The problem is they don't read the Bible. And the demons come looking for vacancy. What are, they, what are they looking for? The gifts of the Spirit? No. The anointing? No. The Word. Because they know if the Word is there, they cannot get in. So fill, wait, wait. Fill your life with the Word and give the devil no space. Say that. Look at somebody and tell them to do that. Come on. That's a fact. They can't get in if the Bible is in your life. Now, when I say the Bible, okay, let's explain this part, okay? When I say the Bible, I don't just mean knowledge. I mean the knowledge of Jesus. There's a big difference between the knowledge and the knowledge of the Lord. There's a lot of people who know the Bible but don't know the Lord. They know the Bible, but they don't know Jesus. Uh, like, like Saul of Tarsus. He knew the scriptures. He did, he did not know the Lord of the scriptures. Or like Gamaliel mentioned in the book of Acts. He sure knew the Old Testament. He didn't know the Lord. Those Pharisees knew the Bible or Old Testament, but didn't know the Lord. Today you have people that worship doctrine, not the Lord. Those that worship doctrine are legalistic, controlling. They don't know how to forgive, nor give you a chance to grow up and change. Can I say it again? The people who are legalistic and religious will not tolerate your mistakes. They don't know how to forgive you. They don't forget. They don't allow you to grow up and change. They have no compassion, no mercy, but they are legalistic. They'll throw scriptures at you from every side, but they don't know the Lord. They worship doctrine, not the Lord. So when I talk about the Bible, I'm talking about the knowledge of the Lord. You look for Jesus in Scripture. 
Say that. Say it again. I was asked yesterday, I was with, uh, at a conference here in Seattle, and Bill Johnson was sitting next to me, and we were asked a question. Longevity, how do you people last? My son-in-law, Michael, was there. He had to fly out. And I said to the gentleman, I said, you know what? I said, when we grew up, we grew up with one message from Scripture about the crucified life. And all we knew is Jesus. And we began looking for the Lord in the Word. That's what we were taught when we were young, to look for Jesus in every story, in every feast, in every portion of the Old Testament. And we found him. So now you get the knowledge of the Lord. Now think, now think with me. The early church did not have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And they were powerful. They were mighty. They, they, they were strong in Jesus. Nobody denied the Lord. They were persecuted and killed for the faith with joy. Because they knew the word. And they saw the Lord in scripture. So it's not enough to know the stories of the Bible. You have to know the author of the Bible. Now, our minds, our minds are the seed plots of our lives. They are the ground in which the seed of the word is sown. They are the grounds in which the seed of the word is sown. Now, I want you to say after me, when I sow a thought, I reap an act. So think about when you sow your mind with scripture, you start to act the scripture. Say, when I sow an act, I reap a habit. Say that again. One more time. And then say, when I sow a habit, I reap a character. One more time. One more time. And then say, when I sow a character, I reap a destiny. One more time. When I sow a character, I reap a... So, when you sow a thought, you reap what? An act. When you sow an act, you reap a habit. When you sow an, a habit, you reap a character. You become that habit. And when you sow that character, you reap a destiny. That's the word. It all begins with sowing your mind with the word of God. Now, when the devil attacks, what does he attack? What part of you does he attack? You got it. So the devil knows that he has to aim at our minds. He wants to sow doubt. He wants to sow mistrust about God. When he came to Eve, he said, did God really say that? So the devil's weapon against us is a question. Say that. Say it again. He throws questions at you all the time. 
He said to the Lord, if you are the son of God. Question. Always questions. When, 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 when people in the world come at you, they come with questions. Questions, questions. That's the devil's way. And the Bible says you better have an answer. From what? From where? Word of God. That's it. We have nowhere else to go. So the mind needs to be saved. I read a, a very troubling article today in the Post in Jerusalem. I, I, I read the Post. I don't watch the news. There's no way I can in my home because I don't have cable. I don't have direct TV. I have no way to watch anything. So I, I, on my phone, I can look at the news, but I only trust news from Israel. They give you Israel news and the world. And CBN also wrote the same article yesterday. Half, 50% of the United States population talks to the dead. That's a fact. 50% of the population of the United States go to the, to the demonic and want to talk to, to their loved ones who have died. That's forbidden in the Bible. Now, now think about with me what the Bible tells us about our loved ones that gives us joy and peace. We know our loved ones are with the Lord because of his promise. We walk by faith, not by sight. So when my mom passed away, I was singing, rejoicing. Why? Because I know exactly where she is. According to his word. I didn't see it. I didn't hear it. I read it. That was enough for me. So when you face troubles, what gives you peace? That's it. That's all we have in life. So Satan attacks the mind. And only the word can resist him. So we resist the devil with what? That's it. Now, our minds at one time were marred by sin. The Bible, in fact, says to us, and can we put the scriptures up here, right? Okay, let's look at the book of Titus 1.15. It says, before our salvation, our minds were defiled and corrupted. Before salvation. That's in Titus. Can you just put that scripture for me up there? Chapter 1, verse 15. So here we are, it says, unto the pure all things are pure, but unto them that are defiled and unbelieving is nothing pure, but even their minds and conscience are defiled. That's you and me before our salvation. The Bible tells us also in 2 Corinthians 4, 4, our that our minds were blinded by the devil. Prior to salvation, we could not see anything about God or even understand it. It says, in whom the God of this world hath blinded what? The minds of them which believe not. So there's a lot of people out there whose minds are blind. They cannot see the truth of the word because demons have blinded their minds. You have friends like that. You have family members like that. We all do. 
In Colossians 1.21, it says our minds were enemies of God, full of hostility against the Lord. So when you talk to people today out there, maybe members of your family and maybe friends, they, they, they fight you. They argue with you if you say anything good about Jesus, right? So it says, in you that were sometimes alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works. Think about that. That was all us at one time. Enemies in your mind. They are today enemies of God in their minds. But the gospel changed all that. When we heard the gospel, you see, God appeals also to the intellect. Satan attacks the mind, and God heals the mind. And what does God say to us? How do we come to that place where we find peace with God? It says so in Isaiah 1.18. It says, let's reason together. Come on, let's talk about it. What a, what a God we have. He says, let's have a conversation. He appeals to our mind. And that's where it all begins. That's where our freedom begins. The weapons are of our warfare are not carnal. They are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Where are the strongholds? Casting down imaginations. And every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge. What is knowledge? Yeah. It's all here. So today people are taking medication or have committed suicide like one pastor in California a few years ago because nobody told him the power of the word. A lot of preachers don't preach the Bible. They preach books. They preach books. I knew a pastor in Orlando who did not want to read the Bible, and I warned him, and I told him, the devil will destroy you one day. Without the word, you have nothing to fight with, I said to him. And he mocked me. 5,000 people in his church. He went to New York, got back on drugs, overdosed, and died. He was a friend of mine. He did not want to hear my advice. Because I found out he did not read the Bible. He said he had no time for it. No time for it. I said, what are you doing being a pastor? There are many pastors today that don't know the Bible. Now, Marie, you were there in Dallas. I had a pastor's conference. I asked those pastors, hundreds of them. I got really bold. I said, how many of you pastors have not read the whole Bible? 40% put their hands up. Am I right? You were there. 40% put their hands up. And I said, why? And a pastor's wife said to me on the front row, you expect me to read the genealogies too? I said, yes. I said, because the geneal those genealogies are so important, they lead you to the Messiah. They help you clear the puzzle. Yeah. How about things I don't understand? I said, well, 
uh, you will one day if you just bother to read them. <laughs> I did not understand the Bible when I began. I do today because I've read it over and over and over. I read my Bible three times a year. Do you? Three times a year. Every four months, one time. Right through. It's changed my life. And it'll change your life. Now, the Bible is very, very clear. <sighs> Salvation does not call for blind faith. But reasoned faith. God wants us to think about it. He says, let us reason. Think about it. Study it. The word. God does not call us for blind faith. He says, I want faith that is thought about, studied, understood. All right. So the Bible says something very powerful. It says in Isaiah 55, 7, let the wicked forsake his way and his thoughts. So God says to, for us to repent if we, if we are full of, of the world and our minds are full of the knowledge of the world. This is where the troubles begin with uh, filth, uncleanness, sexual bondage, and a whole lot more. It begins with neglecting the word. So it says, give no place to the devil. The day you miss or the week you miss, you've just opened the door. The devil cannot get through if your life and mind are full of scripture. If you neglect the scripture, you give him space. And that's when the troubles begin. Now, if you get the word in you, it'll take time to push all that garbage out of you. It'll take time. It's just the way it is. The Bible says it's not my word as a hammer. Smash that thing out of there. It's not my word as a fire. Burn that filth out of there. God, for his part, promised if we, if we forsake our thoughts, Worldly thoughts, because it says in Isaiah 55, 7, let the wicked forsake his ways and thoughts. What thoughts? The thoughts that the world puts in us. The unrighteous man should forsake his thoughts. Once you do that, God makes your promise. And the promise is in Jeremiah 31, 33. He said, I will put my law in your mind. Give me space to do it. Wake up. Wake up. I know you've had a long day. I know you sang and sang and sang till you wore out. Now it's time to relax and listen. Relax and listen. Sometimes praise and worship will tire you. 
I've been a pastor too, believe me, I know all that stuff. Yeah? Now when the word comes, it relaxes you. So the Bible says that God will fill our mind with his law if we give him space. If we forsake, keep that scripture back up please. If we forsake our ways and thoughts from the, from the world. And when we forsake the thoughts, it says return now to the Lord. You can't return to the Lord with a dirty mind. He'll return to the Lord with a clean mind. He'll have mercy on you. He'll forgive you, and he does. And then give him something to work with. My amazing Michael, son-in-law Michael, when he was young, before Jesus' image was big, he sat with me in our home. He said, Bob, he calls me Bob. He says, Bob, what is the secret to longevity in ministry? He said, you've been there a long time. I said, well, I'll tell you. I said, build a reservoir of the word of God in you so when the troubles come, you'll know where to go. And then I said, secondly, cling to Jesus and only the word in you will help you cling. And three, never leave your call. Stay with it. He said, what do you mean? I said, well, it's quite simple. We have one sermon. We preach many, many messages. We only have one sermon in life. That's it. Stay with your sermon. That's it. That's your call. Stay with your call. Don't switch. Don't wear two hats. One call. You'll succeed. He said, why is that so important? I said, because outside your, your call is leprosy and sin. You leave your call, you, you, you end up sinning against God. There's protection under that call, in that call. And he took my advice. He's still there. But the first key is build a reservoir of the Word of God in you so you can dig in and get it out when you, when you need it so God can use it. Give God something to use. His Word. Are you people listening? Yeah. So, so... This is what the Bible means, by the way. Everything I've been saying. What, what the Bible means in Romans 12 too. Renew your mind. So, when, when you and I were saved, we were spiritually born again. But then we had to grow up. And growing up needs scripture. You can't grow up without it. And so a lot of Christians are still thinking like children, not grown-ups, because they haven't grown. In 1 Corinthians 14 verse 2, Paul says, stop thinking like children. So our minds, think about a garden, a garden, okay? So when, when you got saved... Your mind was like a garden, neglected, full of all kinds of things in it that the world put in there. And God says to you before you can grow, he says, clean it up. You have to clean the garden for the seed of the word. So you're born again, but the wick is dirty. 
the light cannot shine with a dirty wick. I'm going to explain that. The priests, Gregory of the Old Covenant, every day had to put oil in the lamp and clean the wick of the lampstand. Without cleaning the wick, that oil could not have shown its light. We all have oil. The anointing is in us. But with a dirty wick, nobody will see the light in us. Can I say it again? So they put the oil in the lampstand, but they had to clean the wick for the light to shine. Today, a lot of Christians are born again. They have the oil in them, but the wick is so filthy. The light cannot come through. Let your light so shine among men. Clean your head. It'll shine then. I think I'm really getting through to somebody. So the Lord says, clear, clean the garden first before you can plant the seed of the word in it. But what do we clean the garden from? Well, let's talk about that. Now, uh, the Bible tells us, can, can, can we put First uh, Peter 1.13 on a minute? It says, gird up your minds. So how do I begin by clearing my head? Okay. Wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind. Let's stop there. What he means, dear Lou, in, in, in ancient days, people wore robes. And they didn't have a tailor to go and fix it all up. And so they would put a belt and pull it all together and tie it all up so they don't trip. Because that robe was loose. It had to be tight and real good. The mind is like that robe. You got to put a good belt around it to control it. Because that robe could have, would, have, would have hindered them from walking or going places. So they took a belt and just made sure that that rope, that rope did not hinder them from walking, going places. Our minds are like that. Those robes, uh, they're too loose. And you only put the belt of the word to control that loose mind of yours. So he says, gird up the loins or waste of your mind. Our minds are out of control. That's what's happening today. That poor guy in California killed himself. Big church, big ministry. He commits suicide because nobody told him, hey fella, get the Bible in there. And when the Bible is in there, the devils will have no space. Well, you know, say, well, well let's just cast the devil out. Without the Bible, more devils will come back. You can cast all the devils you want. But if that head stays empty, that just gives more room for more demons, more wicked than the ones that left. So, it says, and by the way, that word gird means prepare your mind for action. Wow, that's against the devil, huh? So you begin to deal and manage the negative thinking that hinder you. You clear the ground there. So what 
do we clear first? Well, there are three poisonous weeds in all of us. There are three main poisonous thoughts that control us and ruin us. Number one, Matthew 5.28, impure thoughts. Jesus said, he who looks at a woman and lusts after her commits adultery, right? What he's saying is, it all begins with a thought. So that thought must be nipped right in the butt, right? So the Bible tells us that the devil attacks us with what we often uh, don't think about, impure thoughts. So the Lord here was really talking about thoughts that are filthy. He says, if you look at a woman in a wrong way, you, you've just got some poison in there. So we have to clean our minds from all the filth that attacks us. But I have to say something very important. Um, this happens when people think about that thing often. If it comes one time, kill it. Don't allow it to come back. Because if you don't, it'll come back, and it'll come back, and it'll come back, and it'll come back, till it'll become poison. It begins with one thought. Remember I said earlier, sow a thought and reap an act. But that thought, it becomes uh, poisonous when you think it over and over and over. So what you need to do is, when the thought begins, stop it. But how do you stop it? Get the Bible there. It'll help you to stop it. Because you have no power against that thought without the word. So I think that's what happened in the scriptures to Potiphar's wife. You know, remember Potiphar in Egypt? She kept looking at Joseph and lusting after him. She couldn't control it. So I think that's what Peter means in 2 Peter 2.14. He says, those that have eyes full of adultery, people that have eyes full of adultery, is they, they just can't stop thinking about it. Having eyes full of adultery that cannot cease from sin. Wow. It says unstable. The people are unstable. Uh, they, 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 they haven't exercised their hearts with the word. It all begins there with impure thoughts. So Job gave us the answer. I love this verse. Job 31, 1 says, I will put no wicked thing before my eyes. I won't even give my mind a chance. I just won't look at it. I will put no wicked thing before my eyes eyes. And today we live with the world of the internet and social media that's attacking us from all sides. We grew up, our generation grew up with uh, simplicity. When, when I was born, we only had radio. That's it. Radio and our neighbors. <laughs> that's all we had. 
Then television came and all the filth came with it. Later, it was okay at first. Black and white TV and nice shows, you know, clean shows. Family programming. Now it's the devils are there. You can't even turn around without seeing filth. Billboards, you name it, everywhere. How do we protect ourselves? I, I'm giving you the answer. Fill your mind with the knowledge of the Lord, and he'll give you the strength to say, nope, I won't look. Otherwise, you have no, no strength to say no. Is, the, is this helping you? Well, good. Let's keep going. Now, the other thing, the other thing, the thoughts we allow are thoughts of fear. Because fear is doubt. Anxious thoughts, you know. Uh, let's, let's look at Hebrews 2, 14 and 15. Uh, very important to, to not allow uh, these thoughts of fear. So can we please read Hebrews? I'm almost done. Hebrews 14, uh, chapter 2, verse 14 and 15. For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same, that through death he might destroy him that had the part of death, that is the devil, and deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to what? Bondage. So fear brings bondage. So Philippians chapter 4 and verse 6, it says, Be careful for nothing in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known, be made known to God. And the peace of God which passeth all understanding will keep your hearts and minds. So learn to, and, and only, only the Bible can give you the power to turn a, a thought of fear into prayer. So turn your fear into a prayer and it'll disappear. Hallelujah. All right. And, and remember what it says in Isaiah 26, 3. Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee because he's praying, he's talking to God. And the third thing that, that uh, binds our minds are worldly thoughts. The Bible calls them earthbound thoughts. And these earthbound thoughts uh, are mentioned in Philippians 3. So Paul talks about that people who are enemies of the cross uh, have earthly minds, earthly thoughts. So material things, for example, sinful things. So let's just look at that, will you? Philippians 3, 18 and 19. All right. Not too far from there anyways earlier, so let's just go to it right now. I'm almost done. So Gregory, get ready, please, just a second. For many walk, of whom I've told you often and now tell you even weeping, they are the enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, whose glory is their shame, who mind earthly things. They set their minds on earthly things. That's the third thing that, that can pollute us, is the world. So these are the three major thoughts that can bring bondage. 
Number one, impure thoughts. Number two, fear thoughts. Number three, earthly thoughts. And every one of them is dealt with because Colossians 3, by the way, the third one, it says, set your minds on things above. That's what the word affections mean. So now, uh, how, so this is what cleans it up. The garden, I mean. But here is how you plant it. Now, now you'll, you'll, be, you'll be able to plant the right thoughts. So it says, Philippians 4, 8. Finally, my brethren. Now, finally means once you've cleaned up your head. Because you can't think these things with a, with a dirty mind. You've got to clean it up first. With the word. Say the word. Great peace have they that love your law. So get the law in you again and again. The word, the word. Use the hammer of the word. Get all that hard, filthy rock out of you and get it all cleaned up. And then you can, through the word, do this. Whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, Whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue, any praise, think on these things. And I've always asked God, how? Only, only the Bible gives you true, honest, just, pure, lovely, good reports, virtue, praise. Only the scriptures give us this. And only through that can we think this way. All right? So Colossians 3, 16, and I am done, surprisingly. Can we please, can you play a little softly now without this thing being too loud? Can I hear you, please? We've been working together 13 years. He, he actually teaches music at the University of Mobile, Alabama. He's brilliant with that instrument and much more. So Colossians 3, 16, as I close, a beautiful portion here. Let the word of Christ, wow, dwell richly in all wisdom, in you richly in all wisdom, teaching, admonishing one another in psalms, in hymns, in spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. I want to tell you something I am amazed by. I don't understand it. Maybe there is a doctor here who can explain that to me. But I've talked to people. I've talked to my own doctor, Colbert, and he was amazed about with that too. But in 2015, I was in the hospital with a problem with my heart. I had AFib, you know, where the heart beats fast. And I didn't know I was having congestive heart failure because my heartbeat had gone up over 200 and something for days. And they rushed me into the hospital and began to put LASIK in me and pump all the liquid out. Now, a few years prior to that, it was about 2010, somewhere there, I decided to meditate on the scriptures. 
Now you cannot, med you cannot meditate on the Bible until you choose small thoughts first. So you like choose a thought and go back and think about it over and over. Example, example, when you read like Romans, okay, that's an easy book. So Romans has basically four thoughts in the whole book. The first thought is chapter one to five and that's justification, how God justifies us. That's it. And the second thought is chapter six and seven, sanctification. Easy two chapters to think about. And the third one, chapter 9, 10, 11, Paul begins to deal with God's plan for the Jewish people. Then from 12 to 16, my duty as a Christian. So I began kind of going through Genesis like that. And I would, in the shower or when I'm in bed or whenever, I would think about those chapters. I would think about what, what did I read in Genesis and go through it in my head, you know. So I began doing it with Genesis. And now the doctors, a fellow named Tiansung, they knocked me out because they went in my heart and put a camera in there and looked at everything. So my kids tell me this later. I did not know how this was going on. They said, Bob, we thought you were dying. They, they said, when you were out, when you were out, just before they brought me up out, you know, from what they did to me, I was giving them every chapter of Genesis. But I was knocked out. I don't remember even doing it. Somehow my subconscious mind grabbed it. It has to be. How many of you are uh, people that understand this stuff? Put your hands up. That's what happened to me. Now you're, what are you, a professional? Pardon? Mental health professional. So what happened to me? How come I captured Genesis? <laughs> Maybe you can answer that. Okay, this is a mental health professional. Right man in the right spot looking at me. Is that why you were saying amen the whole time? Huh? A hundred percent. So how come my, my brain caught the book of Genesis and now I'm giving it to my kids when I'm not even aware I'm doing it? Because it's the same reason the only thing you get out of an orange is orange juice. No matter how many times you squeeze it, you can't get motor oil, you can't get milk, you can't get anything else. What you put in you was the word of God and there wasn't anything else in you to come out. That is amazing, brother. Wow. This is the first time anybody explains it like that. I salute you, doctor. I'm, I'm going to call you doctor from now on. Even my doctor did not know what to tell me. But I didn't know a professional man sitting there. So think about the power of the word. Am I, am I getting through to you? Okay, so now it's time... You read the Bible and think it over. It's called meditation. And you go through it in your head when you're laying down or in the car or in heavy traffic or whatever, you know. Just think it. And it'll be amazing what, you'll, what will, will, will happen to you. But it takes time to get the garbage out. It took a long time for it to get in. It may take maybe not hopefully as long. It depends on you, though, how quickly you push it out. But your life depends on it. Your future as a Christian 
depends on it because I believe there's going to be an attack of demons on earth we've never seen before. And only the word will keep us. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. That's what the Bible declares. The testimonies of the Lord are, sh are sure, sure, making wise the simple. More to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. That's the word of God, and that's the secret to our victorious life in Jesus and a healthy mind. And I pray today, the word of God really blessed you and strengthened you. My purpose daily is to strengthen you. That really is my heart's desire. Before God takes me home, I want to strengthen the body of Christ and to communicate what I saw in 48 years of ministry to the youth, to the young generation of people. In that service that you saw, I would say probably 50, 60% were young people. I'm amazed to see the hunger in the young people in America and around the world. So help me keep doing this. Will you help me take, you know, keep taking the message that God has given me to our new generation? I minister often at my children's church, Jesus' image, and I'm so thrilled. I'm so thrilled when I see these young people hungry for God like they are. That means our future is really brighter than I think we know. So it's time to give to the work of the Lord. Yes, you know what, giving is so important because giving really kind of declares who we are in Jesus, and like our, our faith in him, our trust in him, our life in him, because giving is God's nature. And when we give, we declare we are God's children. Because you know what? The wicked don't give to God. The world will not give a cent to God. But when we give, we say, Lord, I love you. Lord, you're my all in all. You're my life. To you belongs not only my heart, but everything I have to. And that is an act of faith. Every time we give, we declare our faith to the Lord and who we really are, you know, what we represent as believers, as believers. Like, you know, when you love your children, you give to them, don't you? Because you say, you know, this is me. This is, I'm, I'm the mom, I'm the dad. You know, I'm the parent. I want to give to my children. Giving is love in action. Truly, giving is the language of love. And every time you give, you say, Lord, I love you with all my heart. I love you with all my soul and I love you with all my strength. Abraham was a giver. So was Isaac, so was Jacob, so was David, so was Solomon, and so were the saints. And Paul the apostle says something powerful. He says, that's how we declare our love. That's in 2 Corinthians 8. He said, prove your love when you give. And every time we give, we prove our love to the invisible world. Not only to God, but the whole world. The invisible world knows we love Jesus every time we give. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be yours. So when you, you put God first, then all the blessings will come your way. So do it today, will you? You can sow your seed of love, of love for the Lord. On the platform you're watching me on, you can go to our website, benhin.org, or you can simply text. It's all there for you on the screen. And Lord, bless them as they declare your love by their giving today.
it's an act of worship, you said in your word, and we worship you, Lord, today with our offering. To you belongs the glory. Dear Jesus and God's people said, Amen. And thank you for being with me. And tomorrow, a powerful teaching on touching the invisible. You're going to love it.